0: Well, what a what a sweet time we've had together. Uh, the songs that that the worship team selected and Brandon selected in particular are just perfect for our morning, as we're going to be talking about our freedom in Jesus today. That that is where we're headed this morning. And I don't know if you noticed this, um, but but Brandon normally stands when he leads us, but he was sitting on a stool. Um, and I have permission to share this with you. There's a reason for that. Uh, Brandon is under some pretty heavy pain medication today. Um, For a number of months, he has been getting a chronic pain in his left side, and uh, it has gotten increasingly worse. He had a CT scan on Monday of this last week, and they found a very, very large um, kidney stone. Not a tumor or anything like that, so we praise God for that, but a very large kidney stone. Even impressed the urologist. That's how big it was. So... So long story short, he is really hurting. It will not pass. It has to be surgically removed um, by procedure on Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning. So we just encourage you, invite you to be praying for Brandon. Remember him. Uh, and uh, <laughs> may the Lord just get him through the next couple of days. It's been really rugged uh, for the last week. So, uh, But thank the Lord. He, he really does get the beyond the call of duty. Oh, award here this morning as he led us and yes yes indeed yeah so be, be praying for Brandon and and church family speaking of prayer uh, we're about to head into a well I would simply call it a really challenging portion of God's word uh, it will become evident why that's true in just a moment but because that is true I mean we always precede our time in the word through with prayer. But I'm going to do as I did a couple of weekends ago with you. I'm going to invite you to enter into this prayer moment with me and not just pray over us, but ask you to enter into that prayer time as well by repeating a prayer that I would be praying for myself and for all of us and invite you to do the same. So if you wouldn't mind, let's pray this prayer together. If you want to just lay your hands out and say, I'm ready to receive the answer from you, uh, here's the prayer. Let's pray it together. And I'll I'll say it and you follow and so, Spirit of the living God, open my heart, open my mind, may I love you more deeply and serve you more effectively because of this time in your word. And we ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus and all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. We're ready to go. We are ready to go. You got your Bibles? Galatians chapter 4 this morning, if you wouldn't mind. uh, It should just kind of fall open to that spot automatically. We've been here for quite a while. Galatians chapter 4, as we study this book together, verse by verse. If you need a Bible, Charlie's in the back, and you'd be glad to share a copy of God's Word. Just raise your hand. There is a little note page in your bulletin. If you don't know this part of what we do on Sunday morning, grab that. That will, I know, be of some help to you today. And let's begin by imagining a tiger together for a moment. A tiger, by its very nature, is dangerous, to say the least. We don't go to the pet store and buy a tiger, do we? That would not be a good idea. Because the nature of a tiger does not respond well to restraint or to being contained, uh, cuddled up to, pampered, or petted. That's why we put a cage around a tiger. We put bars around it to keep its nature in check so that that tiger cannot vent its, its full character uh, in our presence. So, so there's a barrier of separation. Bars of separation between the tiger and you. Now what would happen if you decided to remove the bars. Between you and the lion. What would happen? You are lunch. That's exactly right. You would be lunch. Because that is the nature of a tiger. That's, it's born into them. It's wired into them. And so the bars keep that, that nature in check. Now, under what condition might you be able to remove those bars that are around that tiger? What condition would allow you to do that uh, short of sedating the tiger? Okay, don't use that. That's not the right answer. What would have to happen? Somebody fired that off in the first service, and I'm ahead of that curve. So, so not sedation, right? That would be a temporary solution. What would have to happen for the condition to be, uh, what condition would have to happen so those bars could be taken away? You've got to change the nature of the tiger, right? That's what you'd have to do. The nature of the tiger would have to change before you could drop the bars. Now, there is a sense in which we are like a tiger. We have a sin nature. We were born with a sin nature. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. David the psalmist in Psalm 51 verse 5 says, I was brought forth from my mother's womb speaking lies. We're born with a sin nature. And any parent knows the truth of this, right? If you have kids, you know the reality of this. You don't have to teach your child how to lie or to, to, to steal or cheat or covet. You don't have to teach them that at all. Why is that true? Well, they're born with a sin nature. They, our kids got that sin nature from us, didn't they? And we got that nature from our parents who got that nature from their parents going all the way back to our very first parents, Adam and Eve. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners, right? That's the truth of it. Parents continually have to bring a child back to what is right using rules or bars because they know that within their child is this natural desire to rebel against constraint, to push past what is right and good and go with what, Will serve and satisfy self. So we're born with a nature that is naturally opposed to God's character, His nature, and is given to sin, to resisting God's will, His desires, His best, and exerting our own nature. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 comes to mind. None is righteous, no, not one. Not one of us in the entire world in all of time except Jesus is without sin. No one understands. No one seeks after God. Verse 23, same chapter. Most fall short. All fall short of God's glory and his perfection. So, given that this is our nature, God, in scripture we are told, gives us his law, his rules, his commands, his regulations to serve as the bars that will keep our nature In check. To the Jews, he gave the law through Moses in the Old Testament. And to those of us who are not of a Jewish background, he has written his law on our hearts, Romans chapter 3 says. Well, it doesn't take long for our fallen sin nature to turn the law of God, the bars of God, into the way to become acceptable to God. If you do God's rules and you, you you work really hard to obey his commands, then you will win your spot in heaven with him. So says our sin nature. That's what we do with the law. Essentially, salvation by good works. Earn your way into God's love by doing his rules. But it is an approach that is doomed to failure, isn't it? And it's doomed to failure because while it might bring about an outward conformity or some kind of modification to our behavior to obey those rules, uh, it doesn't really change the nature. It doesn't change our sin nature. It just bars around that nature. And it remains, that sin nature remains no matter how dutiful to the rule-keeping strategy we might be. However, you know this fellow Christian, that it has always been God's goal from the moment that Adam and Eve... Uh, first had their natures infected with sin in Genesis chapter 3, you know that it has been God's desire, his heart, to give sinners a new nature, right? To give us a new nature, to remove the bars, and to give us freedom. God, through the gift of his own sinless son, Jesus, by our faith in his death and his cross on our behalf, Uh, by His resurrection which defeated sin and death, God is pleased to give us a brand new nature, a new nature that will hunger for Him, that will want to live in submission to His loving authority, that wants to know Him and serve Him and reflect His nature and love Him back. And when we're being ruled by that new nature that God gives us through faith in Jesus, not that old nature anymore, Well, we don't need the cage. We don't need the bars of a religious system to bind us and restrain us and contain us anymore. We can be set free from that. Amen? Romans chapter 8, verse 2 says it this way. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that... Brothers and sisters, as we have been learning, is really what the amazing book of Galatians is all about. Living in the true spiritual freedom that comes only by way of a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus. We condensed that down into an equation, didn't we? Jesus plus nothing equals everything that really matters. That's the message of the book of Galatians. I don't have to earn God's love. He loved me even while I was condemned by my sin and and in possession of that old sin nature, unable to keep his law. I put my faith in Jesus who paid my sin debt for me and now I am free to follow the law of God as an expression of my gratitude to him for what he has done for me rather than as the way to try to earn my salvation. You follow? Huge difference between those two strategies. One, I accept what God does for me, and the other, I'm trying to do it myself. False teachers were infiltrating the gatherings of the the, the new Christians in Galatia that had come to know Christ under the ministry of Paul. and, And those Judaizers are distorting that message of salvation by grace through faith, Jesus plus nothing. They were wanting to put the the Galatians back behind bars, the bars of legalism and human rule-keeping, devotion to the Jewish Mosaic law as the way to truly be saved. And so Paul writes Galatians to defend the true gospel and to protect these new believers, to keep them free in Jesus. You'll recall how the book of Galatians is laid out basically into three sections just like most of Paul's letters are. The first major section, chapters one and two, is is largely personal and biographical information that he shares. The, The middle section, chapters three and four, Well, that's the heavy teaching section. A lot of doctrine in that section. And then chapters 5 and 6, which we'll be jumping into next week, are really the practical application part of the letter. How my life is different because I really am free in Jesus. Today we close out the heavy teaching section, the doctrinal section, the middle section, as we come to the end of chapter 4, verses 21 and following. Now, Most Bible teachers, most Bible scholars think that this is the most difficult part of the entire book of Galatians to get a hold of. And I would add my hearty amen to that. (laughs) Because this is going to require a familiarity with Old Testament details. It kind of moves in in a technical direction. And it relies on a teaching device today that... Is known as allegory, and that's a device that can be easily misused if we are not careful. So I am really going to be calling upon you to track uh, closely with me uh, for the next several minutes. Otherwise, it, I, I think you're gonna you're kind of gonna be lost out there. So I'm I'm really trusting Bible Church family that you will will dial in. All of that said, verses 21 to chapter 5, verse 1 bring to light one of the most powerful uh, of all salvation truth. And that is that we don't need to live behind the bars of religious legalism, good works, rule keeping, human performance for God to love us and want us and want to share his heaven with us. We live in the promise of God's full and unqualified acceptance of us right now, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has already done and we put our faith in that. Yes? Yeah. Gone forever are the bars of enslavement to the law through faith in Jesus. Amen and amen. So so here's the passage. Let me introduce it to you. I will read it. You follow along in your Bible or, or, or track with us on your iPad, however that works for you. Verse 21, Paul continues to write his friends, and he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. <laughs> we'll stop right there. You all got this, right? I mean, you got it. You, you, you're, this is all clear as crystal. For you, right this moment. Yes? Yes? All right, then we'll just sing and go home. (laughs) You know that's not going to happen, right? It just isn't going to happen. No, we asked the Holy Spirit to bring His Word to life for us this morning. So let's trust Him to do that with what obviously is a really challenging portion of God's Word. But it's not out of reach for us, for any of us in this room. As part of Paul's effort to pull the Galatians back from the legalistic law-keeping false teaching of the Judaizers, he, he turns to the very book of the law, the Torah, that the Judaizers, the first five books of the Old Testament that the Judaizers cherished and taught from, and he, and he pulls from there a story to illustrate how wrong these teachers are and how wrong it is for them to be pushing their false gospel onto these Galatian Christians. The story involves, obviously, Abraham and two women who have two sons whose origins and whose destinies are very, very different. Paul says in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And so, in other words, Paul says to his Galatian friends, Since you are right now being tempted to, to buy into the lie of the false teachers who insists that you live under law, are you willing to take a moment and just listen to that law and what it really says to you? Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, very clearly, Paul only needs two sentences to, to reacquaint his readers with something that uh, apparently they already know quite well. They know the story. But many of us today have perhaps not been in the book of Genesis for quite a long time. And so we may not be all that up on the story that's being referred to here. So let's quickly revisit the story together. Keep a finger here in Galatians. And would you turn back all the way to the very first book in your Bible, to the book of Genesis, and find chapter 12. We're going to get a hold of the story that Paul is is alluding to here. God determines he's going to build a nation. And through that nation, he is going to bring Jesus who will bless the entire world through the cross. The nation that he's going to create is, of course, the Jewish nation. And he starts from scratch with a single man named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to create this nation and Jesus is going to come through this nation and bless the world. Well, of course, to become a great nation, Abraham will need to have an heir, right? He's going to need to have a son who will carry on and, and the nation will grow. The only problem is Abraham is 75 years and his, he has a wife who's who's not much younger than him and she's childless. Flip over to chapter 15. Ten years pass between chapter 12 and chapter 15 and there's still no heir. Abraham wonders about the promise that God made and he wonders if his servant Eleazar will end up being the heir because he's not having any kids, Verse 4, chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. He believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. One of the great verses in Scripture is verse 6. In God's value system, faith in him and trust in his word trumps everything else, right? It's all about faith, which is why our salvation is all about faith, by the way. Chapter 16, verse 1. Keep following with me now. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah says to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. And we all say, "Bad Id- Uh-oh, uh-oh, that works good. Bad- I was going to say bad idea. Uh-oh, works really good. Impatience and a focus on human circumstances, I'm childless, prompts Sarah to come up with her own solution to the question of an heir and a new nation. Abraham follows her suggestion and together they will fix the problem. They'll do it in their own strength. Verse 15, chapter 16, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael, Ishmael, chapter 17, 15 more years pass. It's been 25 years since God gave that promise to Abraham in chapter 12 and no heir. God comes to Abraham and he says, Sarah is going to have the child that I promised all along. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that our solution would be good enough. Verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring After him. Go forward one more time. Chapter 21. Verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 25 years ago. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Go down to verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, that would be Ishmael, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing, mocking, that's the Hebrew word, Ishmael is mocking Isaac. And so she said to Abraham, Sarah does, cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And we're going to stop right there. Uh, this is exactly what will happen. We won't keep reading, but this is what happens. Hagar, uh, the slave woman, and her son Ishmael are are sent packing into the region of Arabia never to return again to the family of Abraham. God will supernaturally watch over her and over Ishmael and will bless them. And from Ishmael will come another great nation, the nation of the Arabs, right? But if we go back now to Galatians chapter 4, Paul summarizes all that we just read in these two verses. Verses 22 and 23, one more time. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And because we now have made the effort to go to Genesis, we can can hopefully say, "Oh, oh, I know what they're talking about now. I get it well then comes verse 24 and things just sort of take off in a direction that we were not expecting probably verse 24 now this may be interpreted how allegorically and we go huh what allegorically an allegory an allegory uh, it's it's the word that means that a major thread of a story, in this case, the the story of Hagar and and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac, that that story represents or corresponds to something beyond the literal meaning. We just read the literal meaning. But an allegory takes that literal story and goes in new directions. In other words, there's more to the story than what we just read in Genesis or thought was there. Now, I will tell you, church family, straight up, that allegory is normally not a legitimate approach to sound Bible study or to the accurate interpretation of the word of God. Some Bible teachers and pastors, and maybe you were in a church at some time in the past where you sat under that kind of a, of a teaching or a pastor who ended up allegorizing and spiritualizing everything in the Bible. Maybe you've had that experience, or at least you've been exposed to it before. Everything has an alternate meaning, multiple meanings, depending on what the teacher is seeing that day. And so allegorizing can be very dangerous and confusing, and it can really be manipulative, turning the, the scriptures in directions that they were never intended to go. And so we really have to be careful when we see this device being used. But here, Paul is writing under the divine superintending hand of who? The Holy Spirit of God, right? He, he is inspired by the spirit, the living spirit of God. And, and so it is the Holy Spirit who actually is going to allegorize this story for us. This is the only stated allegory in the entire Bible, okay? which tells you how rare it is and how it should be very carefully used. But since we know that the source is the Holy Spirit here, we can have confidence in the way this Old Testament account is going to be handled. Paul says that the two women, Hagar and Sarah, represent two covenants, two agreements, two ways to relate to God. Verse 24, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she would we'll be referring to Sarah, is our mother. So you have two women, Hagar and Sarah, representing two covenants one of law and bondage and slavery, the other of grace and faith and freedom. Are you with me so far? Okay. Paul describes Hagar and Ishmael first, saying that they illustrate what we might call the works principle. The works principle rejects God's clearly presented plan. God had a plan with Abraham and Sarah. But the works principle rejects the plan of God. It rejects the way of faith. It rejects the way of trust. And it tries to accomplish the will of God on its own. Perfect description of what Abraham and Sarah did. When someone embraces the works principle, they are operating in their own strength and they're relying on their own resources, their own limited knowledge to try to, to work for what God really wants to give for free. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to make it happen. And so when Abraham and Sarah turned in a, we'll call it a Hagar direction, That's what they were doing. They were trying to make an heir come about by their own clever planning, their own efforts. They didn't want to wait on God who who wanted simply to provide supernaturally an heir as they would put their full faith in him and nothing else. Hagar was a slave. She was a servant in Abraham's house. and, And that meant that her child is also born into slavery. So she represents an enslaving covenant, a covenant that was sealed by the giving of the law of God on Mount Sinai. Paul mentions this in Arabia, which would have been in the time of Moses. And so Ishmael, to, to, to kind of put the cap on that, Israel, or Ishmael represents enslavement to the law. He represents legalism. He represents the hope of making oneself good enough for God to, uh, to, to want you because you were really obedient and you, 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 did the, you did the law well. In verse 25, Paul adds that Hagar corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Paul sees Hagar as symbolic of the Jewish people in his day, Jerusalem being the capital city of the nation. And he's saying that the Jews were in bondage to the Old Testament law, trying to do God's will in the power of their own strength, working for their salvation through law performance, working to impress God with their obedience to the rules of the law, but working in vain because Mount Sinai, its birthplace, the birthplace of the law, is not in Jerusalem. It is where? It's in Arabia. It's not even in the promised land. The the source of the law wasn't even in Israel. And so allegorically speaking, Sinai, the place of the law, wasn't in the land where God's people were. And so Paul thinks, man, that ought to tell you something. Allegorically, it ought to tell you that that, that true salvation is really not going to be found in the law. It's not going to be found at Sinai. Never has been the case. Paul continues, but the Jerusalem above is free and she, referring to Sarah, is our mother. Are you still with me? Still tracking? Good. Good. Let's just hold on a little longer. Allegorically, Paul says, if Hagar, Ishmael's mother, the slave woman, stands for the earthly Jerusalem and and the law and bondage under Judaism, then Sarah, Isaac's mother, being a free woman and the rightful husband of, of Abraham, stands for a heavenly Jerusalem. We're moving in a new direction here. Those who have given up Mosaic law for God's grace, those who have given up Uh, Human good works for simple faith in Jesus are now citizens of a new Jerusalem that is above, not on the earth. We are bound now to the living God by a new covenant. And this new relationship is not one of slavery, but it is one of true freedom. Verse 27. Paul quotes a passage out of Isaiah, chapter 54, and he applies it to Sarah. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate or the barren one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. The Holy Spirit is saying here, the childless barren Sarah is a picture of the Jerusalem above. For a long time, that Jerusalem above was empty and devoid of children, barren under the old covenant of the law, barren under that. But the barrenness of Sarah has been removed miraculously, supernaturally. It ended when Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose again, giving the sinner a way to be with God. Jerusalem above is now being filled every day. Around the world, more than 100,000 people are going to come to faith in Jesus today. And so the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem above is being filled and Paul says that Jerusalem that city is breaking forth and crying aloud in praise and so ends the allegory and you saw all this right off right I mean you you got all this before we ever started well it has turned me upside down and inside out this week as I guess you could tell already. <laughs> so so if, if you were to ask me now, okay, Tim, c- c- compress all of this down so that I can just get a hold of it. I'll do that because I need to, I, it needs to be simple for me. So I'm going to do that. Here's what I see. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. They were born to two mothers, Hagar and Sarah. They represent two covenants, two ways of relating to God. Hagar, the slave, symbolizes the way of Judaism, the old way of the law, the, the, the earthly Jerusalem, the Ishmael way of human effort, human rule keeping, and performance that results in a bondage and a slavery as you try to save yourself. But you know you never, you never know if you've done enough because it, you just, you just keep trying all the time. Sarah, the free woman, symbolizes the new way, the Isaac way of God's undeserved grace and personal trust and faith alone. It is free of all that self-trust, free of crossing your fingers and hoping you've done enough to win God's love. This way leads to the Jerusalem above, the home of sinners who by grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus alone are saved. Now, all of that said, and a tough few verses tackled, they are hopefully untangled, maybe a little bit. All of that said, if you flip your note page over, the real question for us now is, what in the world does all of this mean for me? <laughs> right Are you asking that boy i 'm asking that What does this mean for for me you know if we 've been if we 've just worked through all of this and it doesn 't connect to my life and my relationship with my God in some really practical way then why bother and you know the Holy Spirit understands that and so through Paul uh, the Spirit of God is going to connect the dots now for us and make some practical application not just for the Galatians but for you and me first what what the allegory of Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac means for us is that we are listen to this brothers and sisters we are right now recipients of what the promise You see that there on your note page. We are the recipients right now of the promise. Verse 28. Now you brothers like Isaac are present tense what? Children of promise. Again addressing the Galatians as brothers. Spiritual brothers even though they're. They're struggling right now to know whether to stay with Jesus or, or fall back into performance salvation. Paul says, like Isaac, you are right now children of promise. As we read in Genesis, Isaac was not born by, by what we might call the normal way, the normal, the normal natural way of things. Sarah was way beyond that. She was 90 years old. Ishmael was born the natural way. He was born That way, the way of the flesh, but not Isaac. He is the result of the gracious, undeserved promise of God, isn't he? To Abraham, which Abraham simply accepted and believed. He didn't do anything else. He just believed the promise. God did everything. He provided the power, he created the the supernatural miracle that enabled Abraham at 100 and Sarah at 90 to have Isaac. And by nothing that Isaac did, but by everything that God did, Isaac is, is placed into the family of Abraham and becomes the heir of every promise that God made to Abraham. He didn't do a thing. It's pure grace. It's the Isaac promise. Paul says that in the same way every Christian, every Christian man, woman, young person, the Galatians in the first century, you and I in the 21st century are, present tense, like Isaac. We are saved and made a member of God's eternal family, not by anything we do, but by everything that God has already promised us to do, promised to do for us through Jesus. Yes? Yes? John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Is that the promise of God? Yes. yes. Do you believe that promise? Yes. Then what are you? You're a, child the, you're a child of God. You're a child of the promise. You're a child of the promise. Not one bit of that is the, is the result of our puny human effort to earn our way into God's love or acceptance by our good deeds and our, our dutiful law-keeping. Do you see this? It's by faith in the promise. Look back across your Bible page, back to chapter 3. Remember again the words we already studied together. This is out of chapter 3. Look at verses 13 and 14. This serves as a reminder for some of us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And we say, amen, (laughs) for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might come to us, so that we might receive the what? The promised spirit through faith. That we might receive the promised eternal life through faith in Jesus. Drop down to verse 29 of chapter 3. We already studied this. And if you are Christ, boy, oh man, is that not a wonderful statement? If you are Christ, I love that. That should be highlighted in every one of our Bibles in this room right now. If you are Jesus' very own possession by faith in him alone, then you are Abraham's offspring you are receiving the undeserved blessing of God by faith alone, just like Abraham received that blessing, making us heirs according to the promise. Yes? And just to drive this great great truth home even more, check out what the writer of Hebrews says. The Holy Spirit, through the writer, says in Hebrews 9.15, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a what? A new covenant. Remember that word? Remember Hagar and and Sarah are two covenants? For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Forgiveness of sin. Personal relationship with God. Heaven forever. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them. Say the word. Free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Hagar. The Hagar covenant, the law covenant, has everybody enslaved. The new covenant sets us free. Brother, sister in Jesus, we are right now and remain so forever children of the promise through faith in Jesus. Well, then Paul tells us there's a second way that we're connected to this allegory. Verse 29. Verse 29. Because the Hagar covenant, the salvation by good works covenant, and the Sarah covenant, salvation by God's grace through simple faith in Jesus, are so vastly different and opposed to one another, anyone who goes the way of faith, the Isaac way, is going to be persecuted by those who go the Ishmael way. That's verse 29. Look at it. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, who was that? That's Ishmael persecuted him who was born according to the spirit reference to Isaac. So also it is now Paul was a very true and honest friend to his Galatians to the Galatians. He didn't sugarcoat the price they would pay if they followed Jesus in faith. It would cost them just as Ishmael back in Genesis 21 when he was 15 years older than Isaac mocked him and taunted him and made fun of him so that Sarah said get rid of him. So too today, Paul says, the legalist Judaizers who are a reflection of Ishmael's attitude persecute you, you Galatians. If you cut all ties with their false teaching and you put your faith in Jesus plus nothing, you can be sure that the Judaizers are going to persecute you. The Galatians could expect that. And I really find it interesting how Isaac was persecuted by his own half-brother. Isn't that interesting? which is a reminder if we stop and think about it, that often the greatest enemies, the greatest opponents of true biblical faith in Jesus aren't the people who don't care about, a, about faith at all or religion at all. The real enemies of the Christian are those who, who embrace a religious belief system based on works and performance, and then they persecute the Christian for living out of grace, right? I mean, think about this. Who was it that so bitterly opposed Jesus in his time? It was the religious leaders, wasn't it? It was the Pharisees. His own brothers, half-brothers. Who dogged the persecuted Paul? Everywhere he went, who dogged him? (laughs) The Judaizers. The the, the, the half-brothers who he was ethnically related to. Who persecuted and burned at the stake those Christians who challenged the works-based theology of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages? Huh? Huh? The priests, the medieval papal hierarchy, they persecuted those who said, hey, salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus alone. Our religious half-brother, Isaac, will always be mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. Jesus speaking to his disciples in the night before he was crucified. Remember what he said? John 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Love Jesus and there will be pushback. The Ishmael Isaac principle will play out. Taking the way of faith is not necessarily the easier, safe way. And we need to know that. We need to be honest about that. But it is the ultimate way to safety and security, spiritually speaking, isn't it? It is the way of freedom. And speaking of freedom, what this allegorized story means for us, lastly there on your note page, is that we live now in true spiritual freedom. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Whose words were those? Those were Sarah's words, weren't they? Those were Sarah's words out of Genesis 21 that we read earlier. And so she, representing the new covenant of salvation by faith alone in Jesus, she is calling for the enslaving old covenant of the law to be forever thrown out. Sarah's calling for that in Paul's allegorizing of this passage. He says, see, even the Old Testament scriptures that the Judaizers appealed to, as they seek to convince you to keep the law of Moses, even their scriptures call for that old works-based way to be tossed out and forgotten forever as the way of salvation. Cast out the slave woman and her son. There's only bondage. There's only servitude there for you. No freedom. And then Paul summarizes the entire allegory with the last verse of chapter 4, the first verse of chapter 5. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 1, chapter 5. Stand firm there and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul once more calls the Galatians, his brothers, identifying himself with them and reminding him, reminding them that as those who have followed Jesus in faith, they're no longer slaves to the law, but they are children of freedom. Hagar, that woman and her offspring, have no share. They have no part, no claim, no right, no inheritance in the glorious... Uh, A state of heaven with God because they insist on saving themselves by their own good works. That's the Ishmael way. And Paul says, not you. Oh, not you Galatians. Not you Idlewild Bible Churchians. Not you. Faith in Jesus has set you free And you are right now, not sometime down the road, but you are right now free from ever again having to live under the enslaving rules of work-based law-keeping in order to be with God forever. Brother, sister, and Jesus, we can never be more saved than we are right now through faith in Jesus. You will never be more free than you are right now through faith in Jesus alone. Do you believe it? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul draws upon a word picture he, everybody would have known in his day. He, he says, like an animal that's been released from, from pulling a heavy plow all of its life, Paul says, who in the world would ever want to go back into that old way of the law? That's just a yoke of slavery. Jesus sets you free. And you are really free. We read it earlier, but let's go back one more time to Romans chapter 8, verse 2. We started the morning here. For the law of the Spirit of life has, has, did you catch that? Has, past tense, set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free. Don't ever go backwards. Your faith in Jesus has set you free from ever having to wonder if you're good enough or if you've done enough for God to want you with Him. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. We'll never be good enough. But Jesus is good enough. And He has done it all. And all we have to do is trust in Him. He's removed the bars, hasn't He? He's removed the bars. He's taken away the cage. He's given us a new nature, his very own nature, and the bars are gone. We're free. And that is why Jesus will say this in John chapter 8 verse 36. Can we read this off the off the wall together, church family? Let's do it. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now let's do it one more time with the energy of people who really believe this. Okay? Let's do it one more time. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? And amen. Let's pray together. Oh, man. That's the way that should be read, Heavenly Father. We didn't get it right the first time. Sorry about that. Wow, you have, you have taken us into a place we would never have imagined this morning. And I just thank you for a church family that lets us dig deep because this was not an easy, an easy uh, time today. We just, we just thank you so much for answering our prayer from the outset. Your spirit directed our steps. And hopefully we understand a little bit better now our freedom in you, Lord Jesus. We are under that new covenant. We are we're, we're citizens of the new heaven, the heaven above, the Jerusalem that is above all because of what you've done. Lord, if there be anyone in this room who's still under the old covenant of of, of, of enslaving rule-keeping, law-keeping, trying to win your favor, may that end today. May, may you just open the eyes, the heart of anyone in this room who would want to, to, to go that old enslaving way and enable them by your grace and your love to enter into true freedom. We love you, Lord, today but only because you loved us first. Thank you for setting us free. And all God's people said Amen. Amen.